how good it is to have songwriters on your music team. Thanks, Seth. Thank you, Gideon. Um, uh, we're starting a new series of messages uh, today. Um, they'll be both at 9 and 10.30, so if you're a uh, flip-flopper between services, uh, fear not. So we'll be keeping track with each other. Um, we're, we're looking at uh, Luke's gospel, and in particular, uh, chapters 12 to 17. And in that, uh, Jesus covers a number of different issues, uh, as one would expect from that many uh, chapters. Uh, but they're mostly centered around uh, kingdom living, kingdom life, uh, kingdom values for believers. Um, we could all do with a dose of being reminded of what we should value, of how we ought to live, and good descriptions of the character of the God who loves us and has chosen us, uh, especially in these days. Uh, amen. Though, you know, it's funny, I, I, always, I always laugh at that phrase, especially in these days, because... Um, when has there been a day when that wasn't true? Uh, we are, all of us, always in need of hearing and receiving the truth. And then allowing that truth to penetrate our hearts and our minds and then forming our actions. James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, deceiving yourselves. But we also know that we can't do something unless we've heard it first. And so let's be hearers uh, now. And let's ask that God would help us to be doers today, tomorrow, and for however long until God calls us home. Let's ask that he would help us with that. Father, we, we come to you. And we are asking that you would do a work in us. Father, as we hear words of truth, uh, that word truth gets uh, uh, batted around in the media today and in all different spheres. But as we come to the words of real truth, living truth, the only truth, because all truth is Christ's truth, we ask, Father, that it would minister to us and that as we study this, your word, uh, that your spirit would be uh, joining with the words that are being spoken and saying yes and amen. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're looking at hypocrisy and discipleship. And I know these are not normally uh, two aspects that you put together, even in contrast uh, but nonetheless, uh, hypocrisy is uh, a, uh, quite a big theme for Jesus in this uh, section of verses, and it comes really from the previous chapter in chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be kind of dancing around chapter 11 for a little bit. Now, here, Jesus is talking about religious hypocrisy. He's not talking about the hypocrisy of the Romans or, or, or Gentiles in general, uh, there's, there's quite a lot we could say about hypocrisy in general. Uh, we see it every day 
Um, this is why we are running the, you know, the announcement video didn't function, so I'll give you one announcement. This is why we're running the crash course on worldviews uh, on Wednesdays. That starts this Wednesday. Dinner at 5 o'clock, class at 6.15 uh, in the sanctuary. I highly encourage you to come because it is talking about when conflicting worldviews come together, right? You know, there's an incongruency between, uh, with a lot of people in our world when they try and hold things in balance. I mean, you think about, um, even recently, you think of the debate over, you know, feminism and then this transgender movement, and those, those worldviews collide with each other, and there has to be some truth in the midst of all this, right? And so that's what we're going to be doing is, is talking about those things. But, you know, to me, I, I often wonder, like, why are we so surprised when a, a, a celebrity or, or a media personality or a politician acts hypocritical? I mean, I suppose something deep down inside of us um, is upset with that. You know, that here's an image bearer of God, and they don't seem to understand their own uh, incongruency in this, that, that, that there's a hypocrisy in this. Um, but at the same time, I'm wondering, like, but they don't have a biblical framework. They don't have a biblical worldview that they're departing and, and, and saying hypocritical things or acting hypocritically. Uh, I think, if anything, it just reassures us that, that decisions made by many people come to, to show us that it makes no sense, that they have an incorrect worldview. They have an incorrect framework. Uh, they have a broken view on the world and justice uh, and values. And that, should, that reinforces uh, the worldview that we hold to. I'm not trying to say that in an arrogant way. I think this is just the reality. So when a lawmaker makes a law that people cannot gather in groups of a certain size and then hosts a party of people over that size... That they, are, that they have created the law for, I personally am not surprised by that. But again, today we're talking about religious hypocrisy. We've got to leave the general because I'll get in trouble. Uh, we're talking about religious hypocrisy. And we see this in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus is having dinner at the home of a Pharisee. The Pharisee notices that Jesus uh, doesn't wash before dinner, not for hygiene, but for uh, ceremonial uh, cleanliness, ceremonial cleansing. I know there's a joke in there somewhere, but I don't think we have time to go into it. And so Jesus says, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, and yet inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Then he goes on and he says, Woe to you, for you tithe with precision, but you neglect the justice and the love of God. Woe to you, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. You take pride in, in looking and feeling important. Woe to you, for you are a danger to other people. You defile them without knowing. Woe to you, law teachers, who load people with heavy burdens to bear and yet make life easier for yourselves. Woe to you, who are just like the Israelites of old, who killed the prophets of God because they hated their message. 
Woe to you for taking away the key to knowledge, for taking away the plain understanding of the law and replacing it with whatever you wanted it to say, which benefited you. Woe, Jesus. Ease up a bit. This is heavy. This is heavy. And he has these woes one after the other at the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. And all it does is it makes those Pharisees and scribes and and lawyers more angry with Jesus. And it's in this section that we get a picture of hypocrisy. It is a picture of the person who outwardly worships God, but inside they worship themselves almost unapologetically. And here's a little picture of, of, of the hypocrite. The, a hypocrite responds with malice to anyone who exposes them. Uh, earlier, uh, sorry, at the end of 11, in chapter 11, verse 53, uh, it says, As Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And we know that they ultimately did with Jesus when they had their opportunity to take his life. Hypocrites also lack discernment. Uh, Later in chapter 12, Jesus will point out that, that these hypocrites can... Uh, they can discern the weather, but they cannot discern the times. They could not see the obvious signs that the Messiah, God in human flesh, was among them. Hypocrites also lack compassion. He's already described the uh, additional regulations that were put in place to prevent people from breaking the law, which then become a burden that's too heavy to bear And in chapter 13, after Jesus heals a woman with a disabling spirit, and the leaders are upset that a miracle has been performed on the Sabbath, and Jesus says, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And so from this context, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Do you see the discrepancy between the the hypocritical Pharisees and the disciples? The Pharisees want to honor self. They're only interested in what is best for them. They do not care for others unless it's in their interest. And yet the disciples are students. They are, disciples means learner. They are students. They are learners. And Jesus is warning his disciples about the leaven or the influence of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven is yeast, Right? It, it, it spreads. It makes bread rise. And it only takes a small amount of yeast or leaven in the dough to make it rise. Uh, Jesus uses this 
example in a positive sense in chapter 13 to describe the um, hidden spread of the kingdom of God. But here he uses it in a negative sense, a sense of defilement, which is why the Exodus generation was to have unleavened bread at Passover. Leaven signifying defilement. The funny thing about leaven is that it makes bread look so good. Have you ever seen leavened bread and unleavened bread together? I mean, unleavened bread is essentially just a big cracker. It doesn't really look appetizing. Uh, Here's a test for you. Uh, If you're going to have a Super Bowl party later today, uh, make a sandwich with unleavened bread and a sandwich with leavened bread and see what your guests eat if you're so bold to have a Super Bowl party. But you see, what it does, it covers, right? So just as hypocrisy seeks to cover up and make things look good on the outside, this is what leaven does. This is what hypocrisy does. So how does hypocrisy, how are they like each other? Here's the deal. I can give you a lot of uh, examples of religious hypocrisy, but I don't think that Jesus, that his point in talking to his disciples specifically, if you notice how he describes it, the way Luke describes it, that there were thousands of people gathered. There's so many people that they're stepping on each other. Makes you wonder why he's described it that way. And yet, there's so many people gathered together, and he turns and looks specifically at his disciples. It was to say, it, sorry, it wasn't to say, you disciples, you're not as bad as the Pharisees, you're not hypocrites. What he's doing is he's teaching his disciples. Remember, disciple means student, learner. They're there to learn. And we are disciples. We are Christ's disciples. We are learners. We are students. The very reason that he turns to his disciples first is because his disciples are perfectly capable of hypocrisy. And so are you, and so am I. Capable is not even the right word. We're prone to it, I think. In a lot of ways, we are, we are so capable of this kind of hypocrisy. I think of Paul and Peter in Galatians when uh, uh, Peter is with uh, the Galatian church and he's eating pork sandwiches with Gentiles. And then this group from Jerusalem comes down and all of a sudden Peter sort of gets nervous and he leaves the Gentiles and he goes and sits with other Jews. And so the other Jews who are with him decide, oh, maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and Paul says, uh, uh, he says, Peter and the Jews acted hypocritically. Even Barnabas, Barnabas whose name means son of encouragement, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And so this is why it's important. I wonder if this story from Luke 12 came back to Peter's mind when he gets called out by Paul. He remembers what Jesus said about the leaven, the hypocrisy like the Pharisees and how it spreads. Look how quickly it spread with just a little group and a small example. That's why it's so important that Jesus addresses this. We have hypocrisy in our lives. I could name a number of times that I made myself look better than I actually was in front of a group or I made myself look more holy or righteous or whatever it is and it wasn't necessarily the truth. 
So what makes it spread like leaven, or how does hypocrisy spread? One reason that Jesus pauses and doesn't engage with the multitude, the thousands of people that are stepping on each other, but he engages with the disciples first, is he knows that their lives will have an effect on the lives of his people, his church. They are, or they will be, shepherds. And their lives are going to affect the lives of their sheep. A religious leader whose life is fundamentally hypocrisy, fundamentally a hypocrisy, has nothing to commend to his people. If I told you I am a perfect shining example of all things and and teach you, how, how does that help? The very core of that person's religion is hypocritical. Why why would you even listen to me if I get up here and proclaim Christ, but I I act like I don't need him? Why would you want to listen to that person? That's not helpful, and it's not true. That leader has nothing real or genuine to offer to the people of God. And so Jesus pauses, and he says, Disciples, this is vital that you understand this. This is vital that you understand what I'm teaching you. Hypocrisy deals with the problem of sin by downplaying it. It does not adequately understand how serious and how pervasive sin is. And so it attempts to deal with sin by ignoring it, by covering it up, and then minimizing it, And then putting a good exterior on so that others don't see what's really underneath. So nothing actually gets dealt with. And thereby it thinks that it's dealt with a fundamental problem. And Jesus says, you understand that I want nothing to do with that kind of religion. I don't want disciples or shepherds that are fostering that kind of religion because... That kind of religion doesn't deal with the fundamental problem that I want them to deal with, which is sin. And it works against the gospel of grace, right? The gospel of grace, which reaches down to us who are undeserving and ministers to us and says, I know that you don't deserve this, but I'm offering this grace to you. Its prescription is that you can cover up the problem of sin rather than allowing Christ in his mercy and grace to deal with it. So what do we as disciples do to fight against hypocrisy and its spread? Three things, and I have to admit, since we're talking about hypocrisy, and I'm not going to lie to you, uh, it took me a while to see this in the text Uh, It takes a very keen eye, and so I had some help from some really good commentaries uh, with these points, and the beauty of it is that it is so gospel-centered. Jesus gives us a Trinitarian answer to this issue that he takes so seriously. Here it is. In order to protect yourselves against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, honor God. Honor the Godhead. Honor the, fo- honor the Father, honor the Son, honor the Holy Spirit. Well, how does honoring the triune God help us against 
religious hypocrisy. Well, I, I think they serve as warnings to anyone who considers themselves a disciple of Christ. Jesus says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God, before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Three reasons Jesus gives us here for honoring the Father. First, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Uh, a truth that we as believers know and yet we often forget. Scripture often talks about God's knowledge of all things, that, that there's nothing that we can do in secret that he does not know. God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Paul says that the day is coming when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 2. The point is that while hypocrites may cover up their deception for a time, ultimately, no one gets away with hypocrisy. Some of it will be exposed in this life, but all of it will be exposed in the future. Second reason to honor the Father is the reality that God will punish hypocrites in hell. As we said earlier, hypocrisy is self-focused. And being self-focused, you are preoccupied with what people think of you. But it is foolish, Jesus said, to be afraid of humans who in the worst case scenarios can kill the body and after that no more they can do. Though you read that and you think, killing the body is still pretty bad. Uh, so, but listen, but he warns us of the one who can kill and has the authority to cast into hell. This shows us the great importance on eternity. If you thought Jesus' teachings were just about how to live on earth, then you're missing a step because his greatest concern is your eternal soul. Life is short. It's a vapor, and it vanishes just like that. But eternity is an eternity. You like that? I turned a phrase. Is that what you call it? So do not fear or worry about man and what he can do. Instead, fear God who has authority to cast into hell. I heard a, pro a podcast recently where there was this young man who um, had grown up in a charismatic Pentecostal church, um, but he had been abused by some of the leadership in that church. And um, he went off to college with all of that brokenness, and um, he was wooed into a progressive Christianity. And he was particularly influenced by Rob Bell, uh, who wrote Love Wins. Uh, Bell is 
pretty much a universalist at this point, believing that God is too gracious and too merciful to send people to hell. And this young man had a chance uh, to meet Bell after one of his conferences. And the young man had a tattoo somewhere on his arm that said, Fear God. And uh, Bell asked him what it said, and then he replied, Why would you want to worship a God you fear? And at the time, this young man was so influenced by these words of Rob Bell that he went out and he got his tattoo covered with the image of trees. Apparently, he was a trail runner, and he liked the idea of the trees blowing in the wind or something. But then the young man was restored to a a historic Orthodox Christian faith, and he understood that fearing God was not about cowering in fear the way an abused person would, but rather treating with awe and reverence the divine being who is deserving of all of our attention and our focus, that these were in fact right and gracious things, not things to detest. In fact, he pointed out in the interview later, he says, you can actually still see the fear of God through the trees, which is a funny image, a powerful image. But this is what Jesus is saying. Fear the one with authority. Man has no ultimate authority. Satan has no ultimate authority. Here's a thought. Satan's power in this world is exactly what God allows him to have. God's sovereignty is so encompassing that even Satan cannot do anything that God does not allow him to do. Just go read Job. Now the third reason to honor the Father is that nothing escapes his knowledge. Jesus gives two uh, illustrations of insignificant details, right? Sparrows, a a small common bird that that was eaten by the poor. Um, They cost very little, uh, but they're of little significance. And somehow, in God's sovereignty, he cares and, and does not forget even one little sparrow, one little bird. He also knows the numbers of the hairs on our heads, some of us having more than others. I make that joke, and I feel like that's a bald person's joke, but my wife assures me that I'm heading down that trajectory. So, um, But listen, such omniscience is the source of great comfort to his children who have nothing to fear, since they are more valuable than many sparrows. But while that truth is a comfort to believers, it is a cause for terror in the hypocrite whose fraudulent self-righteousness will avail them nothing in light of God's complete and detailed knowledge of their true unregenerate heart. Now, think with me through those verses right there that we've just looked at. Look at how fear works. Fearing God is healthy, it is reverent fear, it it is an appropriate fear. Fearing man for the disciple of Christ is unnecessary. Fearing man as a hypocrite is the ultimate fear. 
But then the disciple of Christ is told, fear not, because God loves you. He cares for you. Then we have to assume the inverse. The opposite is true for the hypocrite. That you should fear God because you are at enmity with him and that you, you will come under judgment one day. And, and so it's funny because I kept reading through these verses before I had some help with the, uh, the, the, uh, seeing the Trinity through this. And I kept thinking, gosh, it's like fear God, but don't fear God. And these people fear God. And what does that mean? And, and tying all those things together. And that's how it all comes together. That the believer has the reverent fear so that there's no ultimate judgmental fear that, that, that he's going to wipe us away, that he's going to send us to hell for eternity because we're covered by the blood of Christ. But the person who doesn't fear God, that's the person that should be fearing the judgment of God. Honor the Father, honor the Son. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You see, the means to honor the Father is to honor the Son. Because he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. To acknowledge, to, to confess the Son is to accept the Father's testimony that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. To confess Jesus is, is self-denial, right? It's the opposite of hypocrisy. It is self-denial, submitting all aspects of one's life to his sovereign control as a slave to a master. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. A, a, a true confession of Christ will result in the complete transformational work by regeneration and sanctification. Remember, as we talked about last week, the, 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 we looked and we saw with Nicodemus that the, the evidence of the wind blowing will be seen. Those who make that confession will inevitably display it openly before men, both in word and in deed. And isn't it funny that we as disciples are not to fear man, but instead we make our confession before man? Even in the making, uh, uh, even in the making confession of Jesus before men, we're not to fear men. It's funny how all those things tie together. Such an importance on making confession. Why? Because it honors the Father by honoring the Son. There is no hypocrisy in making confession of the Son and living a life that reflects that confession. But there is hypocrisy in making confession of the Son and having no sign of being a disciple. There is hypocrisy in saying that you follow Christ but never confess it, ever. How can you follow in secret on your own? It goes against the very nature of the gospel, the euangelion, the, the, the good news. 
How can you keep good news to yourself and never share it? That person is warned by Jesus' words here. Finally, honor the Spirit. And everyone who makes a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or how you should say, or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus has shown us the one to fear, the Father, uh, the one to confess, the Son, and now we are introduced to the one that we hear, the Holy Spirit. No one comes to the Father except through the Son, and no one comes to the Son except through the Holy Spirit. Just as Christ perfectly revealed the Father, the Holy Spirit perfectly reveals the Son, both in Scripture and the work of regeneration. Remember again, last week we talked about being born again, that regeneration. You know, it's a friend of mine from high school. He had a, um, a note card in his bathroom, and he used to say, uh, no God, no... Uh, I shouldn't have used this example because now I can't remember what it was. Anyway, forget it. <clears throat> Here's my one. No, N-O, no spirit, no son. No son, no father. No father, no salvation. The Spirit is the one who unstops deaf ears and breaks hardened hearts and opens blind eyes. He is the one who reveals truth in Scripture to us. And so it is with this backdrop that Jesus drops this. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Oh, so it sounds like there's a hierarchy within the Godhead, which we know is not true. If speaking a word against the Son of Man could not be forgiven, then no one could be saved. Let me say that again. If speaking a word against the Son of Man could not be forgiven, then no one could be saved. Every Christian disciple is a converted blasphemer who broke God's law, rebelled against his rule, and rejected truth about his Son, about the Son. By not being with Christ, we were against him. It is only to blaspheming sinners that Jesus offers grace and salvation. But if a person blasphemes the Holy Spirit, they will not be forgiven. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to reject his testimony concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit reveals the truth of salvation in Christ. And those who speak evil of that revelation, as the Pharisees had done, reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit to Christ, and having cut themselves off from the only source of divine saving truth, they cannot be saved. How could a person be saved if they reject the only means by which to be saved? Every person who has come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that is an evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. So to blaspheme and reject the Holy Spirit is to reject the Son. You can't say, I have the Son, and blaspheme the Spirit. Those things don't, they don't work together. That this is the unity of the Trinity that's so important that Jesus is teaching in super confusing terminology that I have to have someone else tell me about. 
Just kidding. That was a joke from last week, but anyway. And here's the other thing. If you're worried about whether you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that tells me that you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit because you're worried about it, which means the Spirit is stirring something inside of you and you want to know the answer to it. The person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, I can genuinely assure you they have no concern or care. Then Jesus adds this little side note. I know I'm going longer than normal, so just stay with me. Then Jesus adds this little side note about not worrying about what to say before the rulers in the synagogue, something that did happen to uh, Peter and John in the book of Acts. But the point for us, I think, today is that disciples of Christ need not worry about severe trials, that, that these severe trials will shatter our faith in Christ. The Spirit will permanently remain our comforting, strengthening teacher and, and, and will turn trials to blessing. The Spirit is the protecting power of God who keeps the believer secure through various trials and causes those various trials to be the proof that our faith is real, that our faith is genuine. I know this is a lot. <laughs> what can we do with it? I pray that if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, that all of this is resounding with you, that the, that the Holy Spirit is testifying inside you and rejoicing and saying yes and amen. That is a beautiful thing. When, when you sit in the pews and the word is opened and taught to you and you just think, yes, yes, this is truth. This is what I need to hear. It builds me up. It encourages me. It teaches me. It does so many things. This is something that I cannot do for you. It is something that only God can do. If that is the case, then he is also saying, heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. Know that you are prone to hypocrisy in many different ways. Do not allow it in. Honor the Father by confessing the Son, which means confessing your own lack of strength and ability and lean on Him. And confess the Spirit who is revealing all of this to you supernaturally. And making what would likely make no sense to a person without the Spirit, making all of this resound in you. You see, me getting up and just telling you about honor the Father, honor the Son, honor the Spirit, that's essentially just legalism. If I tell you that and you don't understand salvation through Christ, that you haven't understood the truth of salvation in Christ, that you haven't understood grace and mercy, then it's just telling you to honor the Father, honor the Son, honor the Spirit. And that could sound like law. But the reality is that you're able to do those things because the Spirit has opened your eyes, because you've seen salvation through Christ, and in all of that, you honor the Father. And in that, we have salvation, and in that, we rejoice. Let's pray. Father, your words are always challenging. Even the, even the passages that seem so simple can turn our lives and wreck our lives and make us reconsider things, and that is a good thing. 
If we came here and sat under your word and we walked away feeling good about ourselves, that would be unfortunate. But the reality is you come into our hearts and our minds and our lives and you meddle, and that's a good thing because you are conforming us to the image of Christ. And so, Father, may we consider, as we think about this issue of hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy, that we would consider what it is to be humble, that we would look at the model of Christ, and that ultimately, Lord, we would honor the Father by honoring the Son, by receiving the Spirit and allowing Him to open our deaf ears and our blind eyes to seeing the truth, and that that would not just be a once and for all, though that moment is once and for all, but that our conforming to the lives of Christ would be a daily thing, that we would deny ourselves daily and carry our cross and that that would carry us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together in honor.